0: Let's keep that on there, Doug. <laughs> All right, good morning. Our scripture reading today comes from uh, first from Psalms 1. If you're following along in your pew Bible, that is uh, page number 568, Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Will perish. Our second reading comes from Matthew 24, verses 42 to 46. Sorry, yes. 42 to 46? 46? Yeah, all right. Uh, Page number 1055, if you're following along. Stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake it would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. The word of the Lord.
1: We continue our study of 1 Peter and come to chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4. I have told you before that one of my uh, quibbles, it's a lover's quarrel because I grew up within American evangelicalism and uh, have uh, been cared for and well-loved there. But one of my quibbles is that for some years uh, we have love the first part of the letters of the new testament that are declarative of what christ has done for us and that is almost exclusively what is declared the doctrines of justification and back regeneration faith and repentance justification sanctification but we slide past sanctification Saying slick and unbiblical things such as sanctification is just getting used to being justified. That uh, would have surprised Paul. Uh, and we don't like the letters at the point at which these apostles said, "Therefore, based on what Christ has done for you, He by His Holy Spirit is doing something in you." and wants to do something through you and we're in that part of the letter so as i read it realize that the apostle is saying to you and to me listen this is not just informational this is to be transformational this is the word of the lord so let's receive it as such first peter chapter four beginning with verse one sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you, but they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another Forever and ever. Amen. There are four things that I would underscore in these verses. For contrast to the way that apart from God's grace, we would view things, he's calling us in these verses to have what Paul called the mind of Christ. And look at how he says it. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking." So he's saying, what I'm going to say to you now is to help you begin to think of things the way that Christ thought of things. We had a wonderful sermon last week from Rich Hansen in which he once again emphasized Jesus' great emphasis in his ministry, which was the kingdom and that we are to have a whole new perspective. Remember, he spoke of blinders and of needing to shed those blinders and have a kingdom vision of things. And that's exactly what Peter is talking about here. How do we have a kingdom vision? And he gives us a number of contrasts here. There are four that really strike me. And uh, as we go through these, I would uh, just stop and comment on each But as we go to the table, I mostly want you, whether it's by writing down or beginning just to meditate on these, to realize here we have a a different frame of reference than that which the culture and our educations gives us. And this is the perspective of the kingdom, this is how we're to see things. And the first is that when we see things as Christ sees them, we're going to have a different view a different take on pain and pleasure. Now, this verse has caused tremendous confusion within the church because of the way that he states it. It's just the fact that after centuries and even millennia of careful theology, there are times when we're tempted to go back and say to the spirit-inspired authors, I wish you'd said that a little differently, but this is how, We believe the Lord inspired him, so our job is to seek to understand it. But listen to how he says it again. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now that caused some people in the early church to begin to go off to the desert and try to starve themselves and, and take all sort of profoundly physically painful ascetic practices some even up on living up on pillars with no room I I don't you know it raises all kinds of questions that I don't want answers to but um, just to try to subdue the flesh thinking that through this they would become more holy because Peter said when you've suffered in the flesh you become perfect what is he saying it's caused enough problem for a small group of, a relatively small group of evangelical commentators to say he couldn't be talking about us, he has to be talking about Jesus. And so he's referring back to Jesus who through his sufferings, you know, the, the author of Hebrews says was made perfect through what he suffered. But he's not talking about him here. He's relating his experience to us. So what does he mean? I think that what he means is this. Go on. He ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. And so, the time that is past, let that suffice for living the way that you once lived. In other words, he is saying that we are seeking Christ likeness, and we are either on a trajectory which is always making decisions based on what we believe will lead us short-term to the greatest amount of pleasure and the greatest avoidance of pain, or we are on a trajectory that says, I want to do the will of God. And I do believe with all my heart that at the end of the day, that's what's going to bring true pleasure forevermore. But I am willing if today it calls me to suffer or if it causes me pain or causes me to say no to pleasures that I used to enjoy. I'm going to make that choice and that is coming out of this kingdom of darkness and brokenness and sin into this realm of Christ where I stand before him as one who has been made perfect in Christ and I am living appropriately to that, not yet perfect, and yet, Perfect. I love the way that the author of Hebrews teases those and speaks of us as, you know, growing in holiness even as we are, in one sense, perfect. And so he's calling us to a new trajectory. Let me put it another way, those of you who are parents, well, all of us should know because we've all been children. We all know the difference between an obedient child and a disobedient child. An obedient child is not perfect. And is not always obedient. But the trajectory is one of obedience. A disobedient child is not always disobedient. But it's never a surprise when that child is disobedient. Because that seems to be the trajectory of life. You and I are born as pleasure seekers. We know that. But all you have to do is, if you're my age, spend a little time with a, a grandchild. And I'm reminded. You know, I want that, I want it now. Everybody's born into the world like Freddie Mercury. Uh, If you know who he is, I'm ashamed of you. Uh, (laughs) Freddie Mercury, that's, he was the lead singer for Queen who tragically died of AIDS. But he was famous for the statement that he would often make, I want it all and I want it now. I want it all and I want it now. We're born into the world that way. An infant wants it all and wants it now. That's why they scream at us. Change me. Feed me. Cover me. Uncover me. Pay attention. Here I am, the center of God's universe. Now there was once a time when we were taught that a mark of maturity is delayed gratification and not drawing attention to yourself. That seems in our culture somehow to have gone by the board. Biblically, he is simply saying this. With regard to pleasure and pain, there are two kinds of people. There are people whose decisions are made in order to avoid pain and seek pleasure. And they will, in a context of persecution, they'll follow Jesus and be part of it as long as it feels good. And the moment that persecution is threatened, out they go. They're gone. And it's the same here in our culture, where it is less and less acceptable to be serious about the things of God. And he's simply saying, Jesus suffered in order to make us his. And if this was his life, it's not that you and I are to seek suffering. And when, when we're rejoicing in the good things of life as God's good gifts, and it doesn't conflict with his will. We should enjoy those things. This is not a call to self-immolation. It's not a call to feeling guilty if you're happy about something. I think nobody in in my lifetime has made this point more effectively uh, than John Piper. It was the core of his first popular book And every book that he's written since then is simply a series of footnotes on that first book, Desiring God. And Piper's point was this. He said, we've developed this masochistic view within the church that somehow, if we enjoy something, it's unspiritual. And so he said, uh, you know, missionaries will stand up and give a testimony and sometimes say. You know I just love what I'm doing over there in, in Indonesia I feel guilty for admitting that I'm having such a good he said why in the world would you feel guilty and of course he he used that masterful illustration of a husband giving his wife roses on their anniversary and she says oh John you shouldn't have it he says don't mention it it was my duty uh, in fact I was on the way home, realized I'd forgotten. I had to turn around, go all the way back into the city, find a florist that was open. I mean, what, he said, what would your wife say? You know, if you'd wanted to do it, that would have been sweet. But the fact that you did it when you didn't want to just makes me so honored. <laughs> oh, uh, Piper said, my wife, Noelle, would tell me what I could do with those roses. If I, um. The point is, we honor somebody by delighting in it. And so this is not a call to masochism. It is a call to seek the will of God, believing God that his ways lead to life and joy and peace. So that's the first point. We have a different view of pain and pleasure. It's not that we're seeking pain. It's not that we desire to suffer. But it's that those are byproducts. Sometimes, thank God, I like the pleasure times best of all. But neither is what we are to be seeking if we are in Christ. What we are to be seeking, he says, is the will of God. Did you note that? Verse 2, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. And then he simply describes Roman society or American society and says... You once lived this way, it's time to put it behind you and go on a different trajectory seeking God's will. That's the first thing. The second has to do with time, a a different view of the present and the future and of course of the past. He has said, let the past, the time that is past, suffice for all of that. You once lived there, you once did that stuff. Put it behind you. Stop looking back and longing, wishing you could just have one more time back there. That's what broke you. That's what alienated you from God and His deepest purposes. That's what brought you so much heartache. And young people, too many of us have had to find that out on our own and come to an end of it and realize that in the end what this world offers with its passions and desires and all its anesthesias and all of the rest, in the end, just leaves you empty, pocket full of sand. You say, well, how could I fall for this again? Peter says, don't. Let the time that has passed suffice. Put that away. Christ has put it as far away as the east is from the west and remembered it no more. You put it away and stopped going back there and fantasizing and remembering put it away and in this present moment which is all we ever have live with an eye toward the future realize that every one of us one day will stand before the king of life and our lives will either have mattered for something or they won't they will either be by God's grace something beautiful for Jesus where they'll amount, it'll just be, what a tragic waste, why this waste? And so a new way of looking, and where do I get that? Again, it starts with, up in verse 3, let what's past suffice. But then he says in verse 5, they, those who don't go this way, will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And then he sends in, says in verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. Well. That can be confusing. You can go well. I mean, he wrote that over 2,000 years ago. So what does he mean? The end of all things is at hand. The biblical view of things is that with Christ's resurrection, the end began. It started. The kingdom now is taking visible shape and form through the Church of Jesus Christ, and the Church in every country is an embassy of god's kingdom where we are supposed to be living differently so that people who come to know us worship with us be a part of our ministries are beginning to say this is what i'd hoped it could be like we don't do it perfectly we mess up and we quickly hopefully confess it to them and to one another and and get back on track but we are to be a picture of the coming kingdom And he says, you can't be that if you're still living the way that you once did and yet saying, thank God, it's all of grace. I like to sin. God likes to forgive. Thank God, it's all of grace. Well, that's not to understand grace. Bonhoeffer said so beautifully, he said, grace is free, but it is not cheap. It cost Jesus Christ becoming the sin bearer. It cost him the cross to redeem us. He gives it freely, but it isn't cheap. And when we just say, well, I'll do whatever I want, and then I'll ask God to forgive me, we are treating it as cheap. That's why the author of Hebrews says that is just as though we were spitting on Christ, crucifying him all over again. So a new way of thinking of the present and the future, I am now orienting This present moment to the day that's coming, Um, yesterday uh, at dinner, I I ended up on the phone. Sorry, that's terrible. Don't ever do that, Uh, husbands, but I had permission. Thank you, Connie, because I I was talking to one of the great Christians I've had the privilege of knowing who's engaged me in mission around the world and wants uh, to engage us again uh, in a difficult part of the world. And I may have told you before, but one of the most moving things to me was this man is known by Asian Christians because he has started more ministries in Asia, all around Asia to raise up leaders and the rest, but nobody else knows him. He puts his name on nothing. And and some of you, I know some of you served with ELIC, English Language Institute to China. It sent thousands and thousands of American Christian young people into China to teach English language but to live as Christians and to look for those relationships. That's his. it's the Lord's. But he started it. He built a building in Beijing, raised everything, raised up the leadership, turned it over. I was in Hong Kong Harbor with him a few years back and he got a a text and he started laughing. And I said, what's that? He said, you're going to love this. It was from the present president of ELIC who said, we just had our, I don't remember, it was 25th or 30th, but we just had this great, huge celebration of the ministry last night in Beijing, and you will be pleased to know that your name never came up once. (laughs) And he laughed and said, that's right, I'm so grateful. And I said, okay, Ken, we've known each other long enough. I want you to tell me, do you do this so that you can travel all over the world under the radar and nobody knows who you are? Or are you just that much holier than all the rest of us? And he got really serious and emotional. And he said, I want praise. I want glory. And I don't want anyone to rob me of it before the only moment when it matters, when I stand before my Lord Jesus. That's a man who lives his life with his eye toward the future. I'll be mowing his lawn in the (laughs) life to come. But that's what he's calling us to. He's calling us to live for the future with the eye there. Thirdly, um, it's uh, something that we already saw, so I'll just quickly mention it. But it strikes me that once again, Peter tells us, what is so counterintuitive. A whole different way of thinking about praying and living. Uh, remember back earlier when he addressed husbands and wives, and he told husbands, don't take advantage of your physical strength and of the position that culture gives you where your wife is your property. Don't take advantage of that to lord it over her and to bully her, but instead you are to honor her as a joint heir of the grace of God and then he said so that your prayers will not be hindered in other words most of us think I pray about the stuff in my life I pray so that God will help me get what I want Peter said no start living in a particular way so that your prayers won't be broken live so that you have this open communication joyfully with your Father." And he's not grieved with you and disciplining you because you're refusing to live as he's called you to live. He does the same thing here. Uh, Verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Why? Why should I be? For the sake of your prayers. So if you want a richer, fuller prayer life, realize that how you're living I'm talking to myself too because I still automatically just think of prayers in terms of intercession but it's about worship it's about intimacy with the Lord and he wants us to have that open beautiful relationship with our father in heaven not hindered by this residual gut-wrenching sense that you know I know I never Never follow Jesus, but would you right now just intervene and help me with this? I'm so grateful for the the midshipmen and the St. John students who are here Sunday by Sunday by Sunday. So this isn't to you, but when I was for many, many years a pastor near the University of Tennessee in Knoxville, I used to laugh and sometimes tease the kids at the way that suddenly I knew when exams, when it was exam time. But you think that's when they might say, you know, I don't have time for, de-. no, that's when they came in and said, I need forgiveness, I need grace, because I'm going to be praying hard over these exams. No, no, on a regular, regular basis, keep your relationship open with the Lord. And then finally, giving and getting, that's what those final verses are about. He says God's given you all these things, if you have a gift of speaking, speak as as uttering the oracles of God speak for him not for a claim if you're given a gift of hospitality you know I have sat in homes where the, the woman of the house has so ministered to us all refreshed us with food with laughter with conversation with just the embrace of home and I'm on a number of occasions in talking, had that same woman say, You know, I just wish I knew what my spiritual gift was. I wish I just had. And I'm thinking, Oh my goodness, if only all of us use our gifts the way that you're using it, right here, right now. And he's saying, Whatever God has given you, he's given you not merely for yourself, but to give away. How does he say it? Keep loving one another, verse 8 keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins, thank God show hospitality to one another without grumbling as each has received a gift use it to serve one another and for the rest of the verses we read he simply illustrates that God has given every one of us unique gifts and every single gift is as crucial to the body as the others. now we think when we're young of the big things, don't want heart disease, don't want cancer and all the world. Well, no, I don't either, but let me tell you, I'm now at the age where um, I, I didn't wrap my ankle today. Um, I didn't want to look as though I had elephantiasis, but uh, you know, it, right now it's a, it's a bad ligament in my ankle and tomorrow it'll be, you know, I'll wake up and something else is going to hurt. A friend of mine called me one day and said, waking up at our age is like frying bacon naked. You know it's gonna hurt, you just don't know where. I mean, you know, it's, we are, we're getting on, aren't we? Is that permissible? You may need to, (laughs) I apologize to those of you streaming. Um, But, God's given each of us gifts and we're to be using them whatever season in life we are in. And don't think that your gift doesn't matter because I never really thought about or cared about uh, the ligament in my ankle until it started hurting like crazy. And then I realized how crucial it's been through all these 75 years of my life. I've just depended on it to do anything and to get anywhere. You are crucial to this part of the body of Christ. And if you don't yet know what your gifts are, tell us and let us help you. Because we want you all in fully engaged for the health of the body. And when we're following Jesus and seeing things as he sees them, that's a priority. And it ends, of course, with that God may be glorified again. My friend Ken, whom I talked to last night, he said, I want glory. But if I seek it now, I don't know if I'll have it then. I want it from the Lord for eternity. So we need to pray that for each other. I confess to you, I long for you to know all the truths that I preach to you. But I also want you to think that I'm smart and a good preacher and all that junk, you know? It's there. And, and you know, you go home, that's why. I loved Spurgeon's response. whenever anybody said that was a great sermon, he said, "The devil just told me that." <laughs> you know Every one of us in what we do well, our default mode is to want glory for ourselves. And the new perspective, we keep confessing that and saying no. Not to me, but to you. be all glory and honor and praise. Would you take a moment as we prepare this meal? and respond from the heart to whatever God's Spirit would say to you.